Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. We post a Bible class, a Bible study, every Sunday morning at 9.30 for those who are not able to be with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. And I'm not just talking about members of the congregation who may be shut in or sick for a period of time. I'm talking about all of those who may be listening across the country and literally around the world and maybe even in the Omaha area, but they cannot be with us for one reason or another. We're thankful that people want to get into God's Word and study and learn more, and thereby grow spiritually, because faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. We encourage you, if you're in the Omaha area, and you're able to come and be with us in person, get to know us, let us get to know you, check us out. Worship God with us, study His Word, grow spiritually with us at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Our Bible classes begin at 9.30 on Sunday mornings, followed by worship at 10.30. Sunday evenings, we come back together at 6 o'clock each Sunday evening for another period of worship and Bible study. Wednesday evenings, 6.30. Each Wednesday evening, we come back together for midweek Bible classes. Now again, the church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, 3606 North 108th Street, and you're welcome to any and all of these services. We also encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means with your family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, with literally everybody you can. You may help somebody turn their life around. What a great blessing that will be for them and one for you as well. Now, also tell everybody, take advantage of this yourself. Go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It's free. It always will be free. And when you sign up for our podcasting, whatever smart device you choose, you will automatically receive our Wednesday night Bible class, our Sunday morning Bible class, all of our sermons, and a daily, Monday through Friday, radio program we call Search the Scriptures. And you'll also receive a a seven-day-a-week short Bible study, only about 13 minutes each day, but it keeps us in God's Word. I really consider this to be a gem. We call that today's Bible class. All of that will automatically go to your smart device for free, and it always will be free. So take advantage of this and sign up today for our podcasting. We're going to get back into our study of Joshua. And as I've said, this is the natural next step for those who are studying through the early history of Israel. Once they've gone through the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, called the Pentateuch, then Joshua is the next natural step. And so we are all the way through the first four chapters of the book of Joshua. And in chapter four, we read how the Israelites crossed into the promised land, how they crossed into the promised land, that land that God had promised to them through their forefathers going all the way back to Abraham. And we're talking about many hundreds of years before. Now, they have come to the promised land. They have crossed the, the Jordan River, and we noted the similarity between when they crossed, when God led them across the Red Sea ahead of the pursuing Egyptian army, God parted those waters and let them cross on dry land. And then when the pursuing Egyptian chariots dove into that 
pathway between the two boundaries of the water that God had parted at the Red Sea, God closed up those waters over those chariots and destroyed that army. Now, here, the instruction was for the priests who were going to carry the Ark of the Covenant across the Jordan River, when they stepped into the waters of the Jordan River, God stopped the flow of the river. And so again, the people were able to go across on dry ground, this time across a river, the other time across the Red Sea. Now, so chapter 5, we find them there. It's interesting that as we have read through the wilderness travelings, a lot of people call it the wilderness wanderings, as I've emphasized many times through this study, going back through Exodus through Deuteronomy, I call it the how the Israelites were piddling in the wilderness. <clears throat> and I call it piddling because God turned them back, told Moses, turned them back into the wilderness after Moses had led them to the southern border of the promised land. And then you remember the story. He sent the 12 spies, one, one spy from each tribe, into the land of Canaan, the promised land, and they brought back a report, and at first they all said, hey, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Let us show you some of the examples of the produce growing in that land. But then when it came down to a decision as to whether to go ahead and start to fight the battles of conquest against the inhabitants of that land, 10 of those spies said, whoa, 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 we can't do that. We're not strong enough. Now, God had already promised them this land, but their faith was weakening at that point in, trusting, in not trusting in God to keep his word. And so they said, that's a hard land. They've got big cities there. They're fortified, and there's even giants in that land. And we're like grasshoppers in our own eyes compared to those giants, and we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. Only two of the spies stood up for their faith that God would give them the victory, and that was Joshua and Caleb. And so the other 10 spies turned the hearts of the people, and God said, turn them back into the wilderness. This, this people, their faith is not strong enough. I will not allow the adult generations from 20 years and up to enter into that land that I promised. I'm going to let them die off in the wilderness and I'll raise up their children with stronger faith, and I'll lead them into the wilderness. So at the end of 40 years then, here we find they have finally crossed Joshua chapter 4 into the promised land. You know, I wonder how many of God's blessings, probably just about every single one of us, either do not receive or have had put on hold by God because of our weak faith, our weak dedication to him in our daily Christian lives? Have you ever thought about that? Something worth thinking about, swishing around in your head, contemplating over. How many, how many blessings does God withhold from us? Because, and he wants to give them to us but because of our weak faith or weak dedication, he puts them on hold or maybe withholds them altogether. Hmm. 
we ought to learn from the sad lesson of the Israelites. Well, chapter 5. They're across the Jordan River. Beginning with verse 1. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the, of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan, the river Jordan, from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Now, just imagine if all of a sudden we woke up one day, we turned on the, on the television to the news, or maybe we picked up a newspaper from our front stoop, you know, front door of our house, and we saw that there had been some massive invading army that had crossed into our land, crossed the ocean, or maybe came through one of the borders either to the north or the south, and crossed into our land. They were invading our land. We would certainly, it would be natural to, to, to all of a sudden have some trepidation, wouldn't it? Some concern, because our land had been invaded. Well, here, it was not just the idea of an, an, an invading enemy army, but these people, probably pretty much in every one of these groupings of people, the Canaanites and the, you know, the Amorites and so on, on and on and on, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and all those listed in the scripture as, as populating this land that God had promised to give to the Israelites. They probably all had heard about, to one degree or another, the victories that God had bestowed upon Israel in defeating enemy after enemy on the way to the promised land. Enemies that they did not want to go to battle against necessarily, but that came out to battle against them as they were passing through their lands. And now they were in the land of Canaan. And so all of these people, what does it say? There was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Their heart melted. Verse 2 of chapter 5 at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. Now, it's not the idea that the males within the nation of Israel were going to be circumcised, each of them a second time. No, that's not it. The text goes on and explains. And again, circumcision was a sign of the covenant between God and the Israelites, going all the way back to Abraham. So verse, verse 3, so Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Now remember, that entire adult generation, or, or all the adult generations from 20 years old and up, they died in the wilderness. God would not allow them into the promised land because of their lack of faith in God to give them the victory over the inhabitants of that land. The only exceptions were Joshua and Caleb. So all those who had been circumcised in Egypt were dead. So this, that's, that's the meaning behind being circumcised a second time. 
this is going to be a whole new generation that's going to be circumcised. So, and this is the reason why, God, why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed or destroyed. Interesting. They, were, they died because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, again, going back to that time when Moses sent the 12 spies into the land, 10 of them came back and said, we can't take that land. Only Joshua and Caleb said, hey, we're well able to take it. God will give us the victory. They had faith in God. The other 10 spies turned the hearts of the rest of the people so that they, they turned away. They didn't, think God, they didn't think they could win the battles. They did not trust God sufficient to give them the victory. So here's the explanation. So when, Mo, when God told Moses, lead the people back into the wilderness, all the adult generations of that day would die off in those, during those 40 years of piddling around in the wilderness. Now, the children who were born in the wilderness, all those male children, now they're, they're grown up or they're, you know, got some age on them. And so Joshua is going to have all of them circumcised. So that's the idea behind circumcised a second time. Now, from this point forward, all of those male children who would be born to the Israelites on a regular basis would be circumcised on the eighth day. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, verse 7, then Joshua, then Joshua circumcised their sons. And I don't think we're to understand that Joshua himself personally performed all of the circumcisions of however, maybe a million <laughs> males at that time. But Joshua was now the leader. He had taken the mantle of Moses when God took Moses and buried him, and Joshua was appointed to be the new leader of the people. So Joshua circumcised their sons, whom he raised up, whom he raised up in place, for they were circumcised, because they did not, because they had not been circumcised on the way. So during those forty years in the wilderness, circumcision had not been performed on the on the newborn male children. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal, 
Interesting. Meaning literally rolling. Okay, what did God say? I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. Interesting. They were there at that particular time, and they kept the Passover, that holy day that God instituted on, the la- on their last night in Egypt, still as captives under Pharaoh, before God led them, led them out the next day. Interesting. In verse 11, and they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on, on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. Interesting. So they come across the Jordan River, and they eat, they begin to eat the produce of the land of Canaan. That, that's the promised land that would become, geographically, the nation of Israel. And after they had eaten, after they had eaten the produce of the land, God stopped providing the manna for them. Now remember, the manna was a kind of grain, I think we can understand it, that God miraculously had appear upon the surface of the ground every morning for six days. And the people were to go out and gather a day's supply each morning. Now, if they gathered more than they needed on one day, it went bad overnight. Now, that's how exact God was with this blessing. And to also teach them, I'm providing for you day by day. On the sixth day, however... They were to gather twice as much because on the seventh day, that was the Sabbath, and they were not to go out and do the work of gathering the grain on that day. Now, the manna on, that they gathered on the sixth day, that would, that would stay good and pure over the seventh day. But any other day they tried to take more than they needed, it would go bad overnight. Again, indicating this is from God. And so you partake the way he is instructed. So they ate the, they, they ate the produce of the land, and now they were in that promised land. They were enjoying and taking part in eating the produce of that land. They no longer needed the manna. And so God stopped it from appearing on the ground every morning. Interesting, again, another indication of the power of God and also the understanding that he provided this food for them day by day for 40 years miraculously. And now that they were where he intended for them to be, where he led them first through Moses and now through Joshua to enter into, then he took away the manna and they could eat the produce of the land. What a magnificent God. He is the magnificent God. The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. The children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. Verse 13, and this is interesting, an interesting transition. 
And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword, with his sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Now, when it says Joshua was by Jericho, that would be a, I think we can understand a city-state, as was common in the culture of that, of that day in that part of the world, and this would be their first challenge, their first battle, so to speak, to conquer the city of Jericho and the land around it. Now, there, you, you kind of get the idea that maybe Joshua is preparing for that ultimate battle, and here he looks up, and here is a man standing with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua approaches him, and he asks him, are you for us or for our adversaries, our enemies? Are you for the people of, it, of, of Jericho? Verse 14, so he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. How are we to understand the identity, uh, the identity of the commander of the army of the Lord in this particular setting? I think we're talking about an angel. I think that's pretty obvious, an angel. And... This has to do again with the, from our perspective, our physical perspective and, and sight, it has to do with the spiritual realm. I believe that we, we're to understand that there are angels all around. We see God sending angels as communicators of his will to mankind a number of times through the scriptures and performing missions for him. And I think this is another one of those occasions. Here is an angel, and he identifies himself as the commander of the Lord's army. Uh, he, he's, he's come to have a physical presence from God, from the throne room in heaven, to help the army of the Israelites in defeating their enemies in this promised land and in conquering this land. So interesting, very, very interesting. Uh, we see a similar kind of situation in the book of Daniel when an angel appears or communicates with Daniel as, uh, as being sent from God, but he's talked about how there was uh, a battle, again, in the spiritual realm with an evil angel of Persia. We'd look at Daniel chapter 10, and beginning with verse 10, suddenly a hand, this is Daniel speaking here, or writing, suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I, have, for I have now been sent to you 
while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling, Daniel says. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. In other words, Daniel's prayers were heard by God, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. Well, again, an angel sent from God to communicate to Daniel, and he talks about how there had apparently been a confrontation, maybe a battle with the princes of Persia. Again, we're talking about, I think, spiritual beings, negative ones, uh, evil ones, withstanding him, and Michael coming from heaven again and helping him so that he could come and and, and communicate God's will for Daniel and God's assurance of blessings for Daniel and the people of Israel. So here, this in, in Joshua chapter 5, this angel, I believe we're to understand, identifies himself as the commander of the Lord's army, and he tells Daniel, take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy, and Joshua did so. Very interesting, very intriguing. God has, communi- has, has continually communicated with mankind through angels, also through visions. Now, I believe the miraculous gifts that we read about in the New Testament period, I believe those were for a time and for a purpose. The purpose was fulfilled, and so the time, I believe, has come to a close. I think we can see that in, in a careful study of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But also in noting that as the various letters of the New Testament are written, we no longer see the the implementation of those miraculous gifts after a particular period of time. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I believe believe, uh, the Apostle Paul was talking about they were going to come to an end shortly after the time when he wrote that particular letter. Well, but angels are still out there, I think we can understand. But again, they're in a different realm than our physical realm in which we live. And so here is a case, another case in Old Testament scripture, where God revealed an angel, I believe we're to understand, to Joshua. And he identified himself as the commander of the army of the Lord. And so indicating that God was going to be with, in an active way, be with the army of Israel as they began the battles of conquest for this land that God had promised them, going all the way back to Abraham many hundreds of years before. Our God is the awesome God, and he also is the faithful God the only God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for blessing us in so many ways and so abundantly and richly and continuously, Father. We give you the glory, the honor, the praise, and the thanks. And Father, we need your blessings. We need your protection. We need your strength always, every second of every day. 
Please, we pray, bless us in these ways continuously. Please, we pray, Father, and guide us to live by your word, by your teachings consistently all through the day, every day. Help us to walk with you in faithfulness always. Please forgive us, gracious Father, and hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.